Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho. Today we'll meet Angel and Michael, a lovely, articulate married Canberra couple. Oh, and they're polyamorous. We'll explore how Angel and Michael live and love, how they juggle multiple relationships, how they deal with issues like jealousy, and why they became poly in the first place. Basically, just how it all works. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Michael Beam. Uh, I'm 31, and I've been involved in a polyamorous relationship with my wife for four, four years four. now. Yeah. And I'm Angel. I'm also 31, and in a polyamorous relationship with my husband. Um, and we've also been open for quite some time as well. Mm-hmm. About and another four years before that. Yeah. I'm loving it. I met Angel and Michael at their home in Canberra's North. We settled into their living room with coffee and some muffins I brought over and had a nice chat. Angel and Michael have been together almost half their lives. They grew up in Toowoomba, Queensland, and were high school sweethearts with an adorable origin story to match. I sometimes refer to it as being high school sweethearts that see other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of those terribly ultra teen rom-com, high school sweetheart type relationships that somehow ended up lasting. Yes, I was your safety date to the formal. Yes. Oh, <laughs> this sounds extremely interesting. So I think you mentioned that you were 17 when you yep. guys yep. Yep. met? So, well, actually we'd known each other for a while. We'd been best friends for a year. Um, and, you know, Michael had helped me through, you know, dating a friend of his and breaking up with him and all this sort of stuff. And I didn't know he was interested in me. And he was my safety date to the formal because I had planned to go to the formal with the guy I'd been seeing a few months beforehand. We broke up. So Michael's my safety date as my friend. And then we sort of realised we liked each other more than that that night. Yeah. It was one of those disturbing, uh, so, so teen rom-com. So we were hinting to each other in the days leading up to the, the formal that we might be interested in one in someone but we wouldn't say who oh. you know the 17 year old way of hinting that's really embarrassing when you look back at it <laughs> and um it was the last dance of the formal and i finally convinced him to dance with me and it was one of those he looks into her eyes and she looks into his and they just know and it's beautiful and towards the end of the song he leaned in to give me a kiss and a friend came over and interrupted the whole thing, talking about how great it was that we were graduating. After they graduated, Angel moved to Brisbane and went to uni. But it didn't work out. She returned to Toowoomba, and after a year and a half, she decided to try it again, and Michael soon followed. They both finished up with degrees, and Angel landed a job with the federal government. That's when they moved to Canberra. But before all this happened, Michael proposed on their one-year anniversary. They'd gone out to dinner, and he popped the question when they got home. Well, it was actually a very mellow proposal. Yeah, we'd, we'd come home and we yeah. were dancing. Yeah. We just had some music on when we were dancing. Closing time. Yes, it's our song. Is that, that was... the semi-sonic? Yeah. yeah. That was the song that was playing at the formal when I convinced you to song. play with me. Sorry. Uh, to dance with me, so... So yeah, it became our song, which is really, really soppy. I asked how long it was after they got engaged that they opened up their relationship. It would have been about two years after I proposed that we started talking about it. And yeah. We spent a good 12 months talking about it before we actually did anything. Uh, and then we decided we'd open up our relationship a little bit because we had very limited experience before us and we were all really worried that we would have regrets further in our relationship. So we made out with some people and had some like fooling around with people, but it was another 12 months before either of us slept with anyone else. Yeah, about, about that. that. So it wasn't until 2008, no, very end of 2007, 2007. Yeah. Um, where one of our close friends who was going to be Angel's Maid of Honour, um, but that's a whole other story, <laughs> um, was my first other sexual partner. Um, yeah, we got really close and we'd had sex oh, only a handful of times before we moved to Canberra. So were you the first to start dating outside of your relationship? Dating? No. 
we weren't. But you were the first to sleep with someone outside yes. the yes. relationship. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, Angela had more experience than me prior to that. Mm. Um, fooling but... around and some heavy foreplay, but not actual sex. Yeah. Hmm. So when he started having sex with somebody else, how did you feel about all that? Well, the initial reaction was that there was insecurity involved. Um, again, it's just normal self-esteem issues that I think we all suffer. There were there was some insecurity, but otherwise, I was just happy for him. You know, I, she was a good friend of mine. I, I loved her, so I thought you know she she needed someone. He wanted someone. It worked. Okay. And how did things change, or did things change between you and your friend? They actually really didn't. It it didn't affect our friendship. That that was part of Michael's friendship with her, not mm. mine. So. It was, I mean, we would joke around about it a little bit, but that was the only change. As I'd mentioned in their introductions, Angel and Michael have been Polly now for around four years. They defined Polly as dating with a romantic element to it, as distinct from simply having the ability to be sexually active with other people, which is what characterised the open phase of their relationship. Here's Angel talking about their transition from being open to becoming Polly. We'd you know, met a few poly people in Canberra and we'd started talking about the idea of, of opening it up into poly. And so we thought we'd give it a shot. And yeah, we spent a couple of months talking about it before we, we actually put anything in motion. And yeah, I think it was in the Feb I met a guy at a party, liked him and sort of asked him out. And yeah, it was about... Six month relationship, roughly. A bit over that. And about five, five months into that, you started dating someone as well. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting because I had just started dating someone, another friend of ours, who Angel had actually been trying to set me up with for months. six months prior. Months. You should ask her out. You should ask her out. Um, yeah. Ended up in a nearly three-year-long relationship. Yeah. Do I have good taste or what? Yes, you do. <laughs> you sure can pick them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, so about a month into that relationship, Angel had her first breakup. So that was a new experience, supporting my wife through a breakup with her boyfriend. Mm. Um while also trying to spend some time to develop a relationship with my new girlfriend. So that was actually a stressful part of my life. But you did well. You did well. But when you first opened up your relationship, though, I mean, you might sort of say, okay, I'm only going to sleep with this person and Mm. that's going to be it. That's where the boundary kind of lies. But But there is always a risk, though, that you might end up liking the person or falling in love with them. So... You know, how did you guys sort of negotiate that? It it actually wasn't something that came up. We discussed it. We did discuss it, but it didn't actually eventually. It didn't happen for us, no. Um, And I think for me, there was a lot of compartmentalising of the emotional state. And even now it happens. So, you know, I've had some friends with benefits even while we've been poly. And, you know, so, and I have had an occasion where one person that I was sleeping with, I've developed a crush on. But it wasn't appropriate at the time for either of us to for, to for it to develop into something further, and so it just had to compartmentalise that and say, well, I've got what I've got. It is what it is. Within the bounds of what's available at this time, I'll take what I can have. I think it would have been more of a problem if it was when we were open rather than poly. Mm. Um, now it's not a problem. I don't go out of my way looking for relationships. I want friendships with people, um, men and women, and I I am straight, so if a friendship with a woman develops into emotionally more than that or physically more than that, I'm happy with that, but I'm not actively pursuing anything in particular. Um, So it's less of a problem now, but while we were open, it probably could have been a problem, Mm. but it didn't happen. Yeah. At the time when we had this conversation, neither Angel nor Michael were in a relationship with anyone else. Angel, though, did have one regular and some not-so-regular friends with benefits. I've got a couple of friends that are a every now and then, um, but I've got one regular friend with benefits, and yeah, it's fun, it's a good friendship uh, with that on the side, and especially having recently broken up from a long-term relationship, it's all I want at the moment. I think maybe in a couple of months I'll start looking at dating again and see what comes up. Have you guys ever been in the position where one of you has been in a serious relationship but the other person hasn't had anybody? Yes. Twice. Twice. So when Angel first started dating 
her first boyfriend other than me. Um, there was about six months there, um, but we were also renovating, so that was fine for me. She would go out to see her boyfriend, and I would strip a wall or paint or do mm. some gardening so I could keep myself nice and busy. And then for about a year after that, I was dating my first poly girlfriend, and Angel didn't have anyone else. Uh, I was seeing someone, which was... Yeah, a couple of people you casually saw. Yeah, and, oh, there was one that I was sort of dating, but that was... That complicated. was complicated. Um, and it wasn't very serious. It was just, it was fun dating rather than um, serious dating. And and so, yeah, there was there was a period of time in there when I had I had that. And it was, it's interesting. It, it's actually quite interesting because, I mean, I loved his girlfriend as well. We were friends. So the three of us would catch up sometimes and, you know, and it was fine. We'd, they'd, if they were catching up that night, if it was like a date for them, but they came over for a movie, um, she came over for a movie night, and, you know, and they'd sleep in the second bedroom, and I'd be in the main bedroom, and it was fine. And otherwise, I just had a lot of time to myself, which actually is a really good period of time to reflect. Having been in a relationship for so much of my life, I'd never really had much time alone, and having that gave me an opportunity to actually explore myself a bit more in, in a sort of, was it, um, a, a term of, friend coined, um, polyvalable, rather than being single, you're polyvalable. Um, in, in that context of being the equivalent of single in this format of relationship and, um, and actually exploring who I am and what I want in my own time. It also adds some extra things for my relationship because I remember I think it was early March after I started dating that you had a really bad week. A really bad week and I'd gone to see my girlfriend and got a phone call from you saying you know I, I'm not up to it tonight don't want to be alone and so had a chat with my girlfriend and because we all love each other because we're so close it was all fine and the same things happened the other way around yeah. so we've been here you know cook a nice dinner and then get a phone call from my girlfriend saying um, because she was going through a, a depressive period saying that she was feeling depressed and she needed some support and so I leave everything here. Mm-hmm. Angel looks after the house and I went and looked after my girlfriend. Yep. Um, and then she started dating someone else. For a while there we had a slightly complex um, little family tree because we had Angel's boyfriend, Angel, me, my girlfriend, her girlfriend who's going through um, gender reassignment. So, and boyfriend. At the time, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And... Her boyfriend. So we had a five people chain each person yeah. in a relationship with the next person along. Mm. So there were times that it could be somewhat complicated. Yes. It was fun. It was a good little network. It was. Mm. But when Michael got the call and he had to leave, I can imagine that, um, say, if I were in a similar mm. situation, I mean, I'm monogamous, mm. but if it were the case that my partner got a call from anybody and he had to leave... Um, I would probably be okay with that because, yep. you know, it's just someone who he is close to and yep. who needs support. Yeah, and absolutely. That's a large amount of what you need to keep in mind when you do have these kind of poly relationships. Um, as far as we're concerned, we don't have a primary and secondary s- structure. So uh, Angel nor my girlfriend take priority over the other. So if one of them, it, it's just a measure of who needs who. And there have been times that I haven't been available and uh, my girlfriend had to call on her girlfriend or one of her family members who lives nearby in order to get that support because I wasn't available for whatever reason. And the same thing the other way around. I know there have been circumstances that I haven't been available. Um, I believe I went to Melbourne or Victoria with my girlfriend and you called up a friend to spend some time because you weren't having a nice time on your own, mm. which sometimes just happens. Sometimes for no real reason, I, know, I still get it sometimes. There'll be a night that I have on my own, and you know, half an hour, an hour into the night on my own, I go, you know what? I just don't want to be on my own tonight. But that's the same as any relationship, yeah. as you point out. It's it's the same as being in a monogamous relationship. It's just slightly more complex because you've got more close players in in the relationship. And in terms of what you were describing there before, Michael, it seemed it sort of goes to something that I remember you telling me about Angel, where. One of the things that you enjoy about being polyamorous is that it means that there's more love and there yes. are more people to reach out to if ever you need extra support. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, 
March is a hard time for me each year, uh, just before Easter. First year we got to Canberra, 2008, there was a car accident up north, and my niece and nephew died. So, the last week of March, I am never in a good spot. Uh, and I'm not entirely a pleasant person to be around, because I just don't have time for crap, because I feel like shit every year. Uh, and when I had both my girlfriend and Angel, it was very good, because I also knew that I didn't have to put too much on either of them. Because sometimes when you do go through a bad period and you need that support, you know sometimes you're leaning on someone too much. You know that they're not having a good time or that they've got issues at work and leaning on them as an extra stress to you and an extra stress to them. Mm. So having two people who I can rely on is that little bit better for their health and for mine because I can get the support that I need without overtaxing mm. either of my partners. I still remember the first March you were with Gemma. Um with his ex, um, I actually sent her a message on Facebook explaining what was happening so that she knew what was going on and so she knew to be there to support Michael. And, and it was actually a really nice moment just being able to have that conversation with her and, and about how, between the two of us, we were going to make sure that he was supported. With every type of subculture, interest, or just any way of living, there comes particular vocabulary. Angel had used the term polyvalable before, which she said her friend had coined. Another term that Angel introduced me to was compersion. The poly site More Than Two defines compersion as a feeling of joy when a partner invests in and takes pleasure from another romantic or sexual relationship. Essentially, it's the opposite of jealousy. It's a feeling that people in a poly relationship need to identify with if they're going to make a poly relationship work. Given this, it wasn't a huge surprise to hear Angel and Michael speak so warmly about embodying compersion, even if I couldn't relate to it myself. Compersion's a great feeling. Yes, it is. Like when you see, when I see you cuddling up with your girlfriend and it gives me all these warm, fuzzy feelings inside. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, compersion is something that I personally can understand intellectually, but mm. I can't relate to emotionally. Mm. I feel like I can't put aside, you know, I feel like I do have this natural instinct where I feel like a bit of an ache if um, I see my partner, um, you know, getting something outside of our relationship that I could potentially be giving him. Mm. And in the beginning of, of Polly, that was the case for me. I would feel that sometimes. And it actually took me a while to, to think it through and, and to come to terms with the idea that, um, you know, I don't have to be that for everyone. Even though I can give that, that, that doesn't mean that it lessens the relationship that he's getting it from someone else. But I, I got there in the end and it's been very rewarding. And what about you? I mean, do you experience compersion to the same degree that Angel does? Yes, I do. I, I love seeing her when she's happy, especially I remember her coming back from her first anniversary. Um, my girlfriend and I went away because our anniversaries were one day apart. Yep. So my girlfriend and I went away to Kangaroo Valley for a couple of days. And I remember getting back and Angel was all aglow from mm. all her enjoyable times with her boyfriend. And it was a really great feeling because we both had had you know, some time away from the day-to-day -day stresses that we could spend just with our other partner, um, which is some rather unique time when you always have these other people involved in your relationship, being able to get away and just have some time to focus on that relationship is really important. And getting back was great. It was mm. a lot of fun. Mm. But I've also been lucky because I don't suffer jealousy. I don't know why, but just never have. By way of illustrating just how not jealous he is, Michael told a story from back in high school before he and Angel got together. It was a cute story involving another boy who liked Angel, who gifted her a pocket organiser. And then Michael shared this anecdote to underline how he feels envy rather than jealousy in situations where I can imagine that someone who is deeply monogamous might feel differently. When Angel first started dating, I was on OkCupid and I went on so many coffee dates that arose from nothing. And having never had an adult dating experience before, it was 
difficult for me because I'd never experienced it. And so I just got not, not a rejection at all, but just a lack of success and a lack of success and a lack of success. Um, it was disheartening. Yeah. And seeing that Angel had started dating someone else, I was envious of what she had. But at no point did I feel threatened. Right. And I think that's what the difference between being envious and being jealous is. They're very closely related, but I wasn't threatened by it. And it also strikes me that in relation to your envy, um, you wanted what Angel had, but you weren't resentful that she had it. No, no, not at all. Um, in fact, when she would go out on her date and she'd come home, she'd be happy. It was rather remarkable. And there were other times that she'd come home, she'd go, you showed me adventure time today. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember that day. Um, <laughs> no, it, was, it was a good learning experience in, in many ways. Yeah. You know, and, and that's one of the things with dating other people is you learn all these new and different things, which sometimes make you appreciate your own relation, your, your existing relationship even more. <laughs> and you do learn to communicate better because we have for a large amount of our relationship had certain tells. So um, when Angel's not in a good place, I know she doesn't have to say anything. She doesn't have to do anything. I know because I've known her for 15, no, 16 years. Gosh, it has been that long. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I know when she's not in a good place. However, I don't know that for everyone, so you have to learn how to communicate better with people because you mm. develop your own little shorthand. Um, and I know that there have been multiple times that I've been having conversations with my girlfriend and would say something, and I would know that that means X, Y, and Z, and she'd just go, what? And I'd have to stop for a minute and go, oh, wait, no, that's... Angel speak. That, that's, I can say that around Angel. She will understand. Mm. But other people won't translate it the same way because uh, we haven't got the same level of communication or the same, the same kind of communication. So you do learn to communicate a lot more mm. and a lot better. When I asked Angel whether becoming Polly four years ago has changed her relationship with Michael in significant ways, she answered in the negative. She said that being Polly has brought about stronger communication with Michael and greater self-realisation. And then she quoted the audio fiction podcast, Welcome to Night Vale. I'm always of the belief that I don't want to be in a relationship where we are each other, like one of those relationships where you become one entity. There's actually a great quote on a podcast I love called Welcome to Night Vale the other day where it was talking about how couples that become really a single entity within the couple um, are as alone as a single person is. Hmm. Because even though they have each other, they are essentially the one being, and that's very lonely. And so I actually found that really interesting from the point of view of Polly and, and how it showed us who we were each individually and how that fit into the relationship rather than just being a couple. I brought up the subject of risk and how, in opening up their relationship, Angel and Michael were potentially making their relationship quite vulnerable. Angel acknowledged this, but she asserted that without risk, you don't grow, you stagnate. And then Michael gave his response. He became quite emotional talking about his ex-girlfriend, even saying that he still loved her while he was sitting next to his wife which was interesting to listen to as a monogamous person. You tend to learn more from failures or potential failures than what you do from successes. Mm. Um, we're each other's first serious relationship. So we have this success. I mean, it's been 16 years. Uh, 14. Fif 14 years we've been 14. together. 16 years we've known each other. Yes. Um, and it has very much been a success. So there are a large amount of failures that we didn't get to learn from and those are all new experiences which are all very valid experiences and very interesting experiences to have uh, as long as you are careful with it then there's no reason that you can't take the risks mm. it may hurt but you develop from that you learn from that um, and with my recent breakup is uh, a sort of an example of that because 
I still love her. I still love her dearly, but I realised that I had grown out of being in love with her. So I still want to be friends with her, I still want to be close to her. Um, but as far as continuing to date her, I was no longer romantically invested in her that way. And we tried for a couple more months, but nothing changed for me. And so I broke it off because I want to maintain a positive relationship rather than carrying it through to a death of any potential relationship. And it definitely wasn't easy because I still care for her and I still love her. And I knew it was going to hurt her deep, deeply, but it was the right thing to do. And that has helped me develop more and reassess. So next relationship, I'll be stronger for it. I'll be better for it. I'd like to rewind just a little bit. Mm. So um, you guys got married seven years after you proposed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, tell me about that wedding. Oh, it was in the Select Gardens at Old Parliament House, which was just beautiful. Uh, so it was a November day, it was gorgeous. It was a really small wedding, it was just friends and close family. Oh, friends. Yeah, friends and close family, just yeah. immediate family. Mm -hmm. um, it was mainly an excuse to get everyone together and have a good old party, to be honest. Which worked out great, seeing as, you know, my <laughs> father ended up in emergency. Yes. Michael went on to tell the story about what happened with his father. And don't worry, he's okay. But tell me about your wedding vows, because um, I understand uh, that there are certain differences to your wedding vows from, I don't know, a lot of other mainstream vows. Yeah, so neither of us are religious, so we didn't do the typical religious ceremony. I was actually ended up being quite nerdy. But, um, yeah, one thing that we actually struggle with is that in Australia, legally... A part of the wedding ceremony needs to have the celebrant stating that marriage is defined as being between a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others. Which was difficult for us because, well, one, we don't, neither of us believe it should be exclusively between a man and a woman. And two, depending on your definition, it isn't exclusively us. No. We had other people coming in and out of our, out of our lives and we actually had to we discussed that for quite some time. It took us quite a while to be able to, to resolve that in a way that um, we were comfortable with. Because legally you cannot get married without having that stated at your wedding in Australia. Which is quite terrible. But um, we came to the realisation that what we have is exclusively for us. And not, not for anyone else. So we don't have... Some people in poly relationships have a third person within the relationship. We don't. We have external relationships to what we have. And within that, what we have is exclusively between us. And, but we had to justify it that way to be able to have it set at the wedding. Because mm -hmm. we were actually talking about whether we could get married or not with that line in it. Yeah. And so it was difficult. Yes. What do you mean by what you have is exclusively between the two of you? What we share, I don't share what I share with Angel, with anyone else. I can't. Our experiences together and all our years of experience and all our years growing up through high school and uni and living together with someone else for the first time and car accidents and fatalities in the family, I can't possibly share that with anyone else. Our experiences are uniquely us and it has developed our relationship uniquely our way. So what we have between us, the relationship between us and our experiences can't be shared with anyone else. That is to the exclusion of all others. And the love I have for Michael, that love is to the exclusion of all others. That is separate from the love I have for other people. If I love someone else, it's not to the detriment of my love for Michael. And this goes back to the concept that's um, quite big in, in poly texts of a starvation economy. There's a theory within modern society that we only have so much love to share, which doesn't make sense because it's only in a relationship aspect. People are fine to have lots of friends and to love all the friends and having loving five friends doesn't mean you love them each a fifth of what you would love if you only had one friend. Having five kids, you love them all as much as you would each individual child as much as you would if you only had one child. So you have five times the love. Yet there's this theory in, in our society that when it comes to romantic relationships, there's only so much love to go around. And if you bring another person into that, um, that formula, then obviously you're cutting out some of the love. But it's not that way. 
the human heart has such a capacity for love. And so I love Michael dearly. And when I fall in love with someone else, that is in addition to it. So the love I have for Michael is to the exclusion of all others. So a while ago, I got into a very, very long debate with a poly friend about the division of time amongst people in our lives. He argued that the length of time you spend with a person, even someone you're in a relationship with, is inconsequential. That it's all about the quality. I, on the other hand, argued that quantity has a quality all its own. That how much time you choose to spend with one person over another matters. That it says something about how much someone means to you. Angel and Michael and I hashed this subject out a little. And having told you what I just have, you'll know that when I use the word people, I mean me. I think that a lot of people tend to equate time mm. with love. So, you know, whoever you spend a lot of time with or choose to spend a lot mm -hmm. of time with and who you prioritise, um, you, you can infer love from that. Mm. I think that is valid to a point. Um, you choose to invest more time in the people that you enjoy spending time with and you will develop deeper and more meaningful relationships with those people because you are spending more time with them. Um, I've joked multiple times that I wish I could put Polly on my resume because it's really helped me with my time management skills. <laughs> trying to coordinate multiple relationships, so trying to coordinate my relationship with my wife and my girlfriend and then coordinate that with my wife's relationship with her boyfriend and my girlfriend's relationship with her boyfriend, it becomes very complicated very, very quickly. And you need to be on the same page about what's going on and what time is available. Um, and to be honest, in my uh, most recent relationship, there were things that I ran out of time for. So there were things that I used to do as hobbies that I didn't have enough time for. And you have to make the decision about what is worthwhile, what is worth your time in your life. And if what is worth your time is your relationships, which it is for me, then you make that sacrifice because you still have the same amount of chory things you need to do. You still need to do the same amount of housework. You still need to pay the bills. You still need to work the same amount. So the amount of, of time outside of those responsibilities is limited. It is finite, but that doesn't change how much you love someone or what kind of love you develop for someone. Mm. It just changes how you can express that love. And I think, it depends on the relationship as to how much of a time commitment it requires. Some relationships require a very high level of time commitment, others not so much. And it's the same thing with friends. I've got friends that I, I see a lot, and then I've got other friends that I may see them rarely, but we're still so close. And it's fine that we don't see each other all that much, because when we do see each other, it's still just as amazing and, and, and incredible in that friendship. And relationships are the same. No two relationships are ever going to be at the same level and the same requirements. Uh, and so, to me, it just depends on, on what relationships you have in your life. I'd be quite happy having a relationship where I only saw that person maybe once a week. That's fine. It's still a relationship in its own right, it's just a different form. So, Michael joked before that he really should put being poly on his CV because it's helped tremendously with his time management skills. Here's Angel talking about how they juggle their various relationships when they're seeing other people. A lot of it is having uh, set time frames. So, uh, so when I was dating my ex, we would have certain days that we'd be together. So it'd be um, every Monday, every second Wednesday, and one day on the weekend. And that would vary depending upon other commitments, what was on on the weekend, if, if anyone in the relationship, in, in the, anyone in the family had other things on at the time. Um, and even now, so I've got generally set days that I see other people. Um, trying to time that up with things, you know, Michael has a Wednesday night role playing group, so I'll try to tee up seeing other people on Wednesday night so that it makes sure that we have as much time together as possible. Mm -hmm. And it's just that regularity um, I find is really useful in knowing how much time we'll have together uh, especially a week in advance. We do a lot of talking on the weekend about what we've got planned over the next week so that we know when to fit in the quality time. There'll be some weeks when we don't have much time together because we are both busy with other partners or with other things in our lives where the house will become a bit of a mess because we prioritise having that time together. Yeah. Um, and we also have date night. So one night a week is our date night. 
What do you normally do on your date nights? Uh, it depends on the time. We're, we were talking on the weekend, on Thursday. Not the but, weekend. Yeah. <laughs> about the idea of going to Pollock Bar tomorrow night because they have jazz and wine on tomorrow night. Uh, otherwise, we've had, you know, just gone up to the Arboretum or the Botanic Gardens and gone for a walk together or even just out to this. We've got a little bit of parkland just out here. Um, other times we'll sit around, we'll play board games, have a plate of food and just pick on food and talk and play board games go out for and play pool. hours or go out and play pool. Just just something that's just us. Mm. And you guys have sometimes had nights in with other partners mm -hmm. too, like family nights, I yep. think you've got nice. them. Yep. We used to have uh, family movie nights quite a lot and so everyone would come over and we'd just... Yeah, we'd order pizza or make pizza or something and you'd sit around watching movies and chatting all, the t all night. Mm. And it's just nice and, you know, it's comfortable because we were all good friends. You know, I was good friends with, I still am good friends with um, his his ex-girlfriend and me with my ex-boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And we'd all just sit around chatting and hanging out. And then the, the one thing that has to be established though with those sorts of nights is, is who's staying and what the sleeping arrangements are going to be. That's one of the things with Polly I find funny. There's all these little problems that you don't get in other relationships. Like making sure that the sleeping arrangements are figured out beforehand so there's not a weird moment at the end of the night where you're trying to figure things out and people had different ideas of what was happening. What's an example of what one sleeping arrangement would be? Well, so for example, if they were crashing, usually my, me and my partner would be in one bedroom and Michael and his partner would be in the other. But which be who gets which bedroom? Because one's better than the other. And so... Figuring those sorts of things out. Or, it was or... especially interesting when we did have the cat. And yes. we were we both still had our partners because the cat can open the door to the spare bedroom. She can't open the door to the master bedroom. <laughs> so it depends on who wants to be sleeping with the cat because inevitably she is going to open that door and she is going to climb into bed with you at some point in the night. <laughs> and be very annoying. <laughs> Just have to make sure no partners are allergic to cats. Well, that was the thing. Yes. Is, um, my ex is allergic to cats, but that's okay. That meant I got the main bedroom that has the better bed. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fine. And there are other times that, you know, we'd watch movies and then towards the end of the night, my girlfriend would say that, you know, she really just wants to be at home in her bed. And so we'd go from here and I'd pack some clothes for the next day for work and we'd drive back to her place and crash there. And the next morning I would get up and go to work from her place. Yeah. Um, so you do need to be a little bit flexible uh, and you do need to talk a lot about what your expectations are. Um, the night that I did break up with my girlfriend, um, Angel and her boyfriend were actually here. And so I came home and I was upset, obviously. And um, so her and her boyfriend had a chat and decided that they were still going to have some time together. And I told them that they should have some time together. because I, they... I offered, and we yes, both I... offered, yes. to just and, be around you. And there was nothing you could do. Mm. So... They had some time and then he went home. He was going to crash, but instead he decided to go home and Angel came and curled up in bed with me. And I was drunk. You were very drunk. <laughs> so it's extremely evident to me just how close you guys, you two are and just how much you love one another. Mm. And obviously you've been together for a very long time mm. and throughout all these different relationships, the two of you have been the one constant mm. in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting then that, um, Angel, you were telling me before that um, you don't consider this a primary relationship as such. You don't have that kind of structure mm. in place. And, and that does work for some people. It doesn't work for me in my mind because to me... That denotes that the relationship will always be lesser. And, and that may not be the case, but that, that's how I personally interpret it. Other relationships. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Other, other relationships would always be lesser than what I have with Michael. I don't necessarily agree with that concept. So, for example, with my, my ex, you know, we were together for, for nearly two years. And he was my partner. As Michael's my partner and he was my partner. And the amount of love I felt for him wasn't any less than, than what I feel for Michael. So the fact that we didn't have that long period of time together or the, you know, the, the house and the marriage and all those sorts of things, that didn't change the fact that I valued that relationship as much as I value my relationship with Michael. So I didn't want anything to, to make it perceived that that was actually a lesser relationship for me. 
and I think you know I, I like to think that any relationship I get into has the potential to become something as good as what I've got with Michael so I don't want to limit it mentally for me from the from the outset there are things that there will always be measurable differences um, time being the first of those things mm. and most of the rest of that is uh, in relation to time we've had more than a decade together to amass stuff um, and a hell of a lot of crap um, <laughs> but we have a house and a lot of possessions and we've amassed that together so there are these measurable differences but as far as relationship is concerned it doesn't impact on the relationship just because I have something new that Angel bought me or that my girlfriend bought me. It doesn't change my relationship at all with the other partner. So yes, there is life, there is, is history, but it doesn't change the value. So it doesn't make another relationship lesser in a relationship term. Um, just less financial involvement at that point. Which can be quite nice because be. you don't have those extra stresses. Yes, and it's liable that it would always have less financial involvement because we're always going to have that extra decade on top of the other relationship, provided we stay together. I hope so. Yeah, so do I. Um, so <laughs> there's always going to be that financial difference and some people don't deal with that well. No. Some people do attach a... a um, a relationship value on the fact that we have this commitment, this financial commitment around us. Um, but not everyone does that, and mm. I don't see it that way myself. I posed a scenario to the happy couple in which they were forced to make a choice between each other or another partner. I asked, wouldn't they protect their marriage? I would think if anyone's putting me into that situation where there's that form of ultimatum, I don't respond well to ultimatums. Um, and so and that's one thing I'm very clear at, at the outset of any other, any new relationship is I'm with Michael and he is part of my life and he is my husband and I love him dearly and that's not going to change. And so that is actually a premise. I use that as a premise for any relationship. It's predicated prior to any new relationship. And so if anyone at any point said, you know, I want, I, I don't want you to be with Michael or anything like that, then I'd have to say, well, no, this was, this was the basis. You knew this was the basis going in. I'm not going to change that for you because you can't cope with it. Which once again, I think comes down to history. Mm. Everyone brings, for lack of a better term, baggage into their relationships, whether it is abusive families or odd quirks that you have in your own personality. Everyone brings baggage in. And to an extent, um, definitely not a negative extent, dear, <laughs> uh, our relationship is some baggage that we do bring into a new relationship. And the new relationship needs to be aware that that is part of who I am, that I do have a wife and that I love her dearly. No different to the fact that I have a cat. And if you don't like cats, if you really have a problem with me having a cat, then you shouldn't start a relationship with me. You shouldn't turn around after the fact and say, well, I don't like your cat. Get rid of your cat. That, that's unreasonable. Mm. And it's the same thing with my relationship with my wife. When I get involved in a relationship with someone, I make sure they know that I am married. Um, otherwise, I'd be deceiving them as well as being disingenuous to me and disingenuous to Angel. So they know what the situation is when we first start talking. And if they have a problem with that, then that, that's fine. We don't have a relationship. If they take problem with that later on down the track, then you have to ask why. You knew what it was like at the beginning. I haven't hidden anything from you. I haven't deceived you. So why is it different now? Um, and I think it can be managed through. If there is a reason why it is an issue for them later on down the track, then you might be able to manage it, whether that is sitting down and chatting with them or even possibly going to counselling. You can manage these things, um, but if it's because they were disingenuous at the beginning, then there might not be anything you can do. And unfortunately, it is another one of those risks that you sometimes have to take. One of the reasons Angel and Michael agreed to sit down with me and have this chat was because they were in a stage of being more out about being poly. They didn't want to hide this important part of who they were 
or have to pretend that the partners that they cared about didn't exist. We talked a bit about them telling workmates, or in some cases, having the facts slip out. My immediate team is now, it's about five, five or six people at work, I've slowly sort of one by one come out to people and thankfully it's been a relatively positive reaction. Uh, I forgot the other day I hadn't told my immediate supervisor and I wanted to check with him because Immigration and Customs, they've got this new thing where you've got to declare um, certain associations and things like, you know, I have a blog and I had to declare that. And so I was asking my supervisor if I had to declare being part of a podcast and he asked me what it was about. I'm like, oh, polyamory. And he just gave me this look, why would they be interviewing you? I'm like, oh, oops, haven't told you yet. Um, So yeah, it's about five or six people now, but it is only recent. Um, I was concerned for a very long time about how I'd be viewed because I want to be viewed within the workplace for my work, not for any social quirks I may have. But I know that the way our society works, things like being poly or in some way being different, being perceived as different, tends to take precedent in what people talk about rather than the actual quality of your work. And so I was quite concerned about that for a period of time. But I got to the point where I realised I didn't want to hide it anymore because it is part of me, it is part of who I am. And especially with my previous relationship, it actually felt really wrong for me to hide that and to, to refer to my my now ex as you know a close friend rather than being my partner and and that to me was so so hard to say but to not acknowledge his role in my life and that's what made me decide to to change that and to actually come out as as poly to people um, my last three workplaces have known for the most part um when I was working in my previous job role, I had a slip-up. I was talking about what I was going to be doing on the weekend and said that I'd be going out with my girlfriend. And one of my workmates went, don't you mean your wife? And because I don't like lying, I went, well, no, my girlfriend. Um, so that came out a couple of years ago now. Uh, and then I changed job roles. And that one came out because my girlfriend's grandmother died and I was going to go to the funeral. So I had to talk to my supervisors about um, bereavement leave. And I went, so bereavement leave is allowed for your immediate partner, right? Yeah. Right, can we have a chat about that? Because this is going to be complicated. (laughs) And so we sat down in the office and I said, so yeah, this is going to be complicated. She's going, no, bereavement leave is never complicated. All right, so my my girlfriend's grandmother has died and we're going to be going to Melbourne for the funeral. Oh, that's fine, but I thought you were married. Yes, I am. Wait. Does your wife know? Yes, she does. <laughs> That's always the first question. How does that work? Very complicated. We can get into it later, but I just need to sort of figure out how all this is going to work. Uh, and then several people from one of my previous jobs who knew now work with me at my current job. So everyone there knows because several people have moved over there who already knew. Most people are pretty good with it. Most. Uh, occasionally we do get people who are difficult. Mm. But for the most part... People seem to be more curious than anything else. Mm. How does it work? Do they know? Well, what about this? What about that? Do you ever, you know, all of you? No, I hate the fact that the um, does he, she know is so often the first question. And I get that a lot, mm-hmm. which I actually find quite insulting. I'm not a cheater. This is not cheating. And that's one of the common misconceptions is that this is cheating or that people only enter into open or polyamorous relationships because they want to cheat. It has nothing to do with that. It's, and so I actually find it really insulting when people ask me if my husband knows that I'm dating someone else. Of course he does. I'm a decent human being. Thank you very much. Um, and so that's, oh, and then there's a question after that of, is he okay with it? Of course he is. I wouldn't be doing this if he wasn't. He is my husband. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's interesting. It's, it's, it can be hard to cope with sometimes the way people react in that way. But then other people are like, oh, that's cool. And that's it. Yeah. Other people just want to know a little bit more about the ins and outs. Mm. Sort of like this. How do you organise that? How do you coordinate that? How do you deal with jealousy? Yeah. What do you do at Christmas? What do you do at Valentine's Day? You're going, yeah, look, they're all very, very decent questions and I'm perfectly happy to talk to people about it as long as you're going to be respectful about it. I've got no problem in answering pretty much any question about my Mm. relationships. 
Uh, if you're going to be a bit of a dick about it, then I'll be a dick back. And I'm quite good at being a dick when I want to be, so... It's <laughs> an understatement. So have you encountered any more difficult reactions than these questions of whether your husband's okay with you mm. having another partner? It did have one friend who reacted quite badly to it. A friend of mine from high school who actually moved down to Canberra before we did, and so we still catch up once a month. And when we told her, she freaked out um, to the point where she couldn't... I got a text message from her a few days later because she left very quickly. We were out having coffee. She left very quickly. And I got a text message a few days later with her saying, look, I've just come to terms with it, with this idea. Like, I'm not entirely comfortable. And talking to her later, she equated it with cheating. And because she's quite religious, she had a lot of issues with the idea of me supposedly cheating on my husband. And she told me she wasn't, for a while there, she wasn't even sure she could be friends with me, which to me makes no sense. I'm the same person I've always been, and this doesn't affect her. It's the same thing as someone being, uh, you know, being gay or, or bi. That's a personal aspect. It doesn't actually affect other people. And yet some people seem to, to feel that they have that right to be upset about it, even though it doesn't affect them whatsoever. And I actually think Polly in many ways is in the same stage as homosexuality was 30, 40 years ago, and that it is very prevalent, but because it's not discussed openly, it's not normalised, and so people still have some, occasionally, these strong reactions to it. So that was colleagues and bosses. I asked Angel and Michael how their families responded when they revealed to them that they were poly. Here's Michael. We were up there for Christmas, just Angel and I. Uh, so it had been just over 12 months since I'd started dating my then-girlfriend. And so we sat down, we're having a bit of a chat, and I decided it was a good time, so I actually went, well, um, so you guys are aware, uh, Angel and I are polyamorous, so I'm dating someone else at the moment. And my mother immediately went, so who wants dessert? And got up from the table. And that was her only response. And I just sort of sat there and went, who wants dessert? All right, fine. Um, everyone else in my family was fine with it. Took my mother a little while, but she's fine with it now. Yeah. Uh, and she was actually upset when she heard that my girlfriend and I had broken up because they bonded quite a bit over sewing. Because mm. um, last Christmas, uh, Michael's mother invited all four of us to come up. So yeah. the two of us, Michael's girlfriend and my boyfriend, we all went up to Queensland for Christmas, which is really beautiful. Yeah. And yes, they bonded very well. Yes, they did. And what about your family? Um, well, I don't have much contact with my family, so... We don't talk about it all that much, uh, but that's... My eldest sister would ask, you know, how my boyfriend was going and all those sorts of things, but my mother never would. Uh, and they're about the only two people I speak to all that often in my family, other than my nephew. And my nephew's mother didn't want me bringing up with my nephew until he's of a suitable age to understand. Which he's getting there, so I'm thinking I'll come out to him soon. I don't think it is actually a problem, especially for kids. Kids are much more capable of they haven't had the same level of social indoctrination mm. that adults have. So you're raised your entire life. You see it on TV and books about having these relationships between two people, um, which is not even historically accurate. You get countless stories that are historically based or, or medieval or fantasy based where they talk about having these monogamous relationships and actually wasn't common until the 1900s to have a monogamous relationship. You might not have publicised that you didn't have a monogamous relationship, but countless um, kings, queens and lords would have the wife or husband who was normally a political partner, and then they'd have other people as sides. Um, so I think it's rather interesting that we get told our entire lives that this is what is normal, and, and that is how it is shown. And until recently it was a man and a woman, this is what is normal. And now that's slowly starting to change. But I think kids are much better at dealing with these kind of things because they haven't had you know, 20 years of being told, this is normal, this is normal, this is normal, and then being exposed to something which is considered abnormal. So I think children actually deal with it mm. better. I mean, I know that my nieces up north were quite interested to meet my girlfriend yes. when we went up there. And they played with her and joked with her and mm. it was rather nice. 
Did you anticipate the reaction that you got from your mother? Were you... From my mother, yes. I I very strongly (laughs) expected that that was going to happen. Um, My mother... I remember when I was younger, my mother had a big issue with homosexuality. And she's mellowed in her older age. But she had a big issue with homosexuality because it wasn't natural. Um, Which, one, is crap. Two, is a very religious perspective to have. But as she's gotten older, she's mellowed out a lot. Um, Also because... She expected that her kids would, you know, leave high school, get a good career, find a good partner, have a family. And my eldest sister has had four really serious relationships. She's onto a second marriage now. Oh, they're they're planning on getting married now. Uh, my other sister has had several serious relationships, and they both have complicated families. So I think my mother has, over the years, slowly gotten used to the idea. Um, my father has always been uncannily observant, but he's very rarely intrusive. So I remember one day I was talking to him on the phone, would have been about a year after I dated my, started dating my girlfriend, and he took the phone into another room and said, all right, can I ask you a blank question? Are you an angel all right? Yeah, we're fine. Why are you asking? Well, you only seem to call us when Angel's not in the house. Yes, because she's seeing her boyfriend. But you guys are all right? Yes. Next time I'm visiting, you're going to have to explain that to me, because it sounds really complicated. Oh, it is. All right. Cool. As long as you guys are all right. End of of conversation. And next time he visited, we had a great conversation about it. Yeah. Both Angel and Michael are open to the idea of taking another husband or wife if Australia ever got to the point where polygamous marriage became legal. But that question is still a long way off from being relevant. Michael spoke at length about how laws wouldn't be able to cope with the ins and outs of polygamy. He said that while his and Angel's relationships tend to be fairly straightforward given their linear nature, not all polyamorous relationships are that way. How in some cases, three or more people might be in a relationship with each other. And here, issues of children and division of assets become very complicated. Until such time that polygamy becomes legal in Australia, if the time comes, Angel has a different hope for the future. Long term, what I would love is to essentially set up, uh, like buy a set of townhouses, which us and all of our partners could live in, all of our long term partners, and have sort of like a, a poly commune equivalent. Um, I think that would be that would be beautiful. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I would be quite happy with. Uh, having a, a marriage-like relationship with someone else, whether it was marriage or not, um, under the legal definitions, mm-hmm. doesn't really matter to me that much. I mean, we got married more because it was just was there an excuse to have a big party. So marriage to me isn't a big thing. It isn't a big deal. It didn't change our relationship to be married, other than being de facto. It's far more a social construct than anything that actually defines the relationship to me. But I, if you know, if I have found someone else that was in a long-term relationship with, I would like to do something to denote the the impact and the um, importance of that relationship to me, like marriage. Mm. You were talking about your marriage vows before and how mm. you took issue with the idea of um, the marriage being the relationship the being to the, the exclusion of all others. But what about the component of supposedly you know till death to you part i know it's not part of the the legal wording mm. but did, did do the two of you subscribe to that component no uh, for me i hope i hope we're together forever mm-hmm. but i'm a realist people change things change we may not be together forever and if our relationship became unhealthy then if it wasn't reconcilable then it is not reasonable to force the relationship to continue. You'll just develop bitterness towards each other and hurt towards each other. So there is... I would love to spend the rest of my life with Angel. But that's not something which... I'm not going to set it in stone. Because things do change. And there are always possibilities. There are always going to be issues. And I don't want to end the relationship on a sour note if we ever do end the relationship. Mm. So from just a real, realist point of view, there's no point in saying till death to us part because like, we can't predict the future. No. We can just hope. No.
Angel and Michael, realists with hope. And that's the end of episode two of the Love Canberra podcast. Love Canberra is written and produced by me, Ivana Ho. The intro and outro music is courtesy of Proletaire. My thanks go to Angel and Michael for having me in their home and sharing their story with me. You can now find Love Canberra on iTunes, Stitcher and just about any other podcasting app. If you'd like to tell me your thoughts about this or any other episode or maybe share your own story, feel free to email me at lovecanberrapodcast at gmail.com. On the next episode... Initially, like I said, it was a bit of a fetish more than anything, so there was a, there was a visual aspect to, to it as well. So the idea of women being tied up and struggling, you know, bound and gagged and blindfolded and, and, and you, know, you know, naked or semi-naked, there was a certain fetish to it. What I learned was the most powerful part of it was the connection to the person. That's next time on Love, Canberra. Thanks for listening.